I'm going to turn to 1 John chapter 4 is the passage we're going to read from, share some scriptures together, and most importantly, we're going to pray that God would just do whatever he wants to do this morning. So as you turn there, just join with me and pray. Lord, we turn our hearts, we turn our minds, we turn our affection to you. What else could we do in response to your incredible love for us? I thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, which is the very bread by which we live. Thank you that your word has power, that it accomplishes all that you set it forth to accomplish. So, Father, for our part, make us fertile soil. We want to reap a harvest, not for our own sake, but for the glory of your name. To see you exalted in our day, in our time, in our city, in our nation. So come and open our eyes to see you and show us more of who you are. We pray together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So we're going to read 1 John chapter 4 and pick up this passage from verse 12. Remembering that last time we finished with verse 11, if God so loved us, beloved, the Apostle John says, we ought, and that's not a suggestion, that's an imperative reality. This is the Jew, this is the only thing that we could do in response to his incredible love, to the God that is love, his mission of love is in turn to respond in love. Love is the mission. But he continues this thought and takes it another tangent, which you see right away, as, or you will see right away as we read verse 12. It says this, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. See the link. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, his love is made perfect or perfected. If the only view of God that people around us saw was the way that we loved one another, what sort of a picture of God would that paint? I'll just leave that one. Open up that can and move on. What I want to get to is this picture of love perfected. Watch out for that phrase as we go, as we go deeper into this passage. Verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And we're talking about abiding in Him. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He abides in God. So don't overcomplicate things. I love the way that John is black and white. He's straightforward and he is simple. What does it mean to abide in God? He said, this is what it means to believe that God sent his son Jesus. He came into the world as the savior of the world. And whoever confesses means whoever believes, whoever puts their trust and hope in Jesus, God abides in him and he abides in God. It's that simple. How do we abide? We keep our eyes on Jesus. If you remember a few weeks ago, John was addressing deception. He's saying, you're going to live in an age and a time where much deception will be around. And here is the key test. Is Jesus Christ front and center? Every spirit, he says, that confesses Jesus is Lord is 
from God. Every spirit that does not is not. Jesus is the central test. And here, the central reality of us abiding in God is our belief and our faith and the centrality of Christ. Jesus himself proclaimed him, proclaimed him to be himself to be the good shepherd. Picture I've always loved. See, without a shepherd, sheep will never find their way. We've recently got, I think, seven sheep now in our front paddock, two baby lambs and two slightly older lambs. And I can tell you that sheep are not the smartest animals on the planet. They're easily scared. They're easily scattered. And so the picture here, and it's not an overly complimentary picture, is that we are the sheep. Without a shepherd, we can never find our way. But with the shepherd, we can never lose our way because it is the shepherd's responsibility to guide and protect the sheep. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you're abiding in his life. But this is what I want to get us to. Verse 17, by this is love perfected. There's that phrase again with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, there it is again, perfect love, this phrase, casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, we love first because he first loves us. See, here is where he gets to with this picture of perfected love. It's a place of fearless living. And if you want a title, this is the title for this morning. Fearless living in a fearful age. Fearless living in a fearful age. What does that mean? What does it look like for us to live as a fearless people? And again, the thing that I appreciate as we have studied this particular book, as we've gone through the writings of 1 John, is that the Apostle John is black and white, but he's very practical. And he gives us these tests, things that we can hang on to. We've talked a lot about love, but always with a different focus. First of all, he's pointed us towards our motivation. Are we loving others? Continually he has. How do you know if love is your motivation, if it's not just about you? But if it is flowing through, we're moving from the point of me, me, me to love being a river that flows through us. We looked last time at love being the mission. See, if we're out there like John, who himself would say that was me, ready to call down fire on people who don't believe, then there are some issues in the reality of the love that he's talking about being perfected in our lives. And here is the last test that he gives us, talking about love, is a life lived without fear. Are you living fearless? Are you living in complete confidence? Well, let's ask that question before we answer it. Psalm 27.3. Listen to this proclamation of the psalmist. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, I will be confident. Now, how many of you could read that passage? And you're like, you know what? That is a picture of my life. 
That is me on a page. You would not believe it. That just described my circumstances. I live without fear. There's armies, not just a few people. He's talking about armies. Though a war may be focused against me, I'm not going to be afraid. Let's not ask for a show of hands. Let's move on. Because I do okay until I get out of bed in the morning. And from there, it is all downhill. Psalm 118 verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Or one of my favorites, Psalm 23. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. What does he proclaim? I will fear no evil. That wasn't a great response. Maybe we need to study Psalm 23. Did you get the message? Even in that place, surely there is no other place in life more dark, more desperate than facing the valley of the shadow of death. And yet the psalmist says, no, no, even in that place, I will fear no evil. So I would put up my hand and say, this is something that I want. I want to know what this is to live a fearless life. Fearless living in a fearful age. One of my favorite descriptions of the New Testament believers, Acts 4.13. And it says, everybody saw them and they were amazed by what? By their boldness. Some translations say their courage, their fearlessness. And they perceived that they were uneducated men. See, it wasn't a boldness and a fearlessness that came from their intellect. I think somehow, at, at some times, we think ourselves out of confidence. And out of courage. We've got so much information, so many definitions. We define our definitions, interpreting and reinterpreting ourselves right into a big pile of fear. There is a lack of boldness. And in fact, the enemy loves to use fear to cripple us and stop us from fully accomplishing this mission. See, Paul is on a mandate here. He's talking about truth. He's talking about love. That's been the title of the series. There have been two themes that we've looked at continually. But really what he is looking for is a confident, conquering people. He'll go on that the last chapter is all about overcoming. That's what he's interested in, a people who overcome, a people who are confident, conquering Christians. That's the call of the Christian life. And that's not in the absence of stuff. That is in the midst of whatever comes. Fearlessness in the face of lions, in the face of persecution, in the face of temptation. A resolute, confident, conquering people. And he's suggesting here that a key is love. A key is love. So let's have a look at that. Somewhat surprising. How is it that he's talking about perfecting love leading to a fearless life. Well, first of all, let's just unpack what he means by perfected. So we use the word perfected in our modern vernacular generally to describe something that's moved from a state of imperfection to a state of perfection. I could talk about my golf swing. I've worked on it. It was imperfect. And now it's a picture of flawless perfection. That wouldn't be entirely truthful. Hopefully it's at least somewhat prophetic a statement. But that's the context. In the New Testament, this word is very different. 
It doesn't mean imperfect to perfect. It means something that has finished or completed, something that has been accomplished, something that has reached its desired goal or aim. For example, Matthew in particular, but the Gospels talk about Jesus fulfilling scriptures as he went about. And he did this to fulfill that which was written about him. That's the exact same word that is translated here as perfect, or we could say perhaps more correctly, perfected. So Jesus wasn't perfecting a scripture in the sense of making it perfect, that which was imperfect. He was perfecting it in the sense that he fulfilled it. So that's the picture here. He's saying love, it, it doesn't move from being imperfect to perfect. It moves from an accomplishment or the full accomplishment of what that love is intended to do in our lives. What is the work of love? Well, he said it very clearly here. First of all, it's confidence before God. And then ultimately, it's a life where perfected love casts out fear. Wonderful picture. It doesn't say that perfected love will temper it. Perfect love will just tone it down, make it a little more palatable. It says that love, perfected love, casts out fear. And if there's any fear then there is not perfect love. He says it twice, both ways around. So here is the point, that fear and love, John is suggesting here, and I would encourage us that this is a reality, are mutually exclusive. Fear and love cannot coexist. And so we've got to discover what it is if we want to live a fearless, confident life, to be grounded and perfected in this love that John is talking about. So you ready? Okay. All right. Three of us are ready. Let's go. Here's three keys that I believe are essential if we want to live in this perfected love. And you could probably write a number of others. This is not a mutually um, definitive list. But number one, this is so important and this is essential, and the heart of it is an awareness of His presence. Let me explain what I mean. Fear keeps us gripped by the problems, but love always keeps us aware of His presence. That's the difference. Let me illustrate it this way. I have a house with four young and not so young anymore, nearly teenage girls, and the thing that never ceases to amaze me is the level of hysteric screaming and noise and I guess coming growing up as as a man I just still can't understand it I realize it's a reality I can see Justin here laughing away here I think they need to issue uh, fathers of young girls headphones special headphones can walk around and just nod yes sweetheart yes sweetheart but if they're particularly hysteric which happens from time to time and squeals are coming forth there's a good chance that there could be a spider somewhere in the house because of of all things that are likely to call hysteria spiders top the list and it's not just one one will find it but then it's like they just call and they congregate there and no one wants to do anything about it they just want to feed off each other's hysteria squealing about this spider and they got themselves into a state the other morning i went up there and I took a look and I said, girls, it's actually just a mark on the wall. Oh, so it is. Well, there you go. We were squealing about nothing. 
But it's interesting because as they gather around and as the hysteria just escalates in waves and waves and eventually I remove the headphones to come and address the situation, there's a noticeable difference even before anything else is done. The moment that I walk into the room or into the space, all of a sudden it's kind of like, oh, finally we can stop looking at the spider and just being hysteric about it or the mark on the wall, whatever it might be. Because daddy is here. Because daddy has walked into the room. Daddy knows how to deal with spiders. See, there will be a time that I will not relish when the girls recognize that I am not the strongest being in the universe. But for now, I'm relishing in that title. Daddy can solve any problems. Here's what's interesting. Just work with that analogy in that picture for a moment. You see, my love for my children didn't change. It was always the same. My care for them didn't change. And my capacity to deal with the problem that they were facing and hysteric about didn't change either. But there was a reality in that moment. I was even in the same house as them. But it was when there was all of a sudden an awareness of the presence of me in that moment for them there that all of a sudden caused them to shift from the problem to that recognition of, oh, he's here, he's here. Let me make the same point in this way. You see, the command mentioned most in the Bible is what? Who knows? No, it's not love the law. That's a good one, though, too. It is actually fear not. Fear not is the command. I thought you might get that, but sorry, we'll just move on. Um, Fear not is the command that is mentioned most in the Bible, more than any other command, even more than love the Lord your God with all your heart. I mean, that's the most important commandment. Don't, Don't get it out of perspective here. But fear not is mentioned more than anything else. If nothing else, recognition that we are by nature fearful people. And yet, in nearly every single instance that it is mentioned, not quite, but in the large majority, it is followed by an encouragement. Fear not, because I am with you. Fear not, because I am with you. Even the favorite verse I mentioned before in Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because you are with me. You see, what is it in a moment of fear that gives us assurance? It doesn't say fear not because, man, I'm there, but I can just think my way through this. If I just, you know, if I just manage to somehow just positive eyes myself, just think, 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 I can get through this. It doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, I I fear not because, you know, there's something in me, there's some untapped potential that I can get in touch with and that's going to be the thing that will get me through. He says, no, I will fear not because he is with me. Because there's a problem, but I don't need to just stand there getting hysteric about the mark on the wall or something far greater. But I can remind myself of the reality that he is with me. Just try that this week. Whatever it is that you face, whatever it is that ah, I'm fearful, I'm afraid, take a step back and just dwell on that thought. The most given encouragement in Scripture is He is with me. See how that changes your perspective on the problem that is 
before you. He is here. And that's part of this picture of a love that is always perfect, but a love that is perfected in the midst of the problem because I'm aware. It's accomplished its task to hold me firm and tight. And I'm resting in his presence. Number two, second key is this, is that his love is an assurance to us of his provision. So it's his presence, but it's also his provision. You see, fear always reminds us of what we don't have and what we need to do. Whereas love is the present reality or resting in the provision of what he has already done. Let me give you this example, if it helps, wonderful, if it doesn't. There's not many things in my life that I would say I'm afraid of. And even the things I'm about to tell you, I'm not really that afraid. You know, maybe just a little bit, certainly not a phobia, because I'm not afraid of anything. I'm just clarifying that up front. <laughs> but I have had a couple of moments in my life. One was when I was very young, and I was on a caving expedition with a whole group of guys. It had been raining, and for some crazy reason, the leader of this camping uh, caving expedition decided that we'd go through these caves anyway. So we were there and there was water around and there was this one particular section where the water met the roof of the cave because there was an overhang and you had to actually duck down and swim through the cave. Now, I don't want to make it sound any worse than it is and make a, you know, a story just for prophetic license, poetic license. But there was a rope that you pulled yourself. There was a guy on the other end with the light. It was all controlled and it really wasn't that bad. But for me, there was something the moment that I plunged into that water. I was so aware that caves are just from the devil. And the only thing that should ever be in deep, dark corners is rats and demons. And that's it. They're not made for people. And I panicked. And interestingly, I didn't think much of that experience. I kind of was like, oh, well, that... I'm not going back in a cave again in a while, until many years later when I went scuba diving. And it was very interesting because my sister, I've got a sister and a brother who love scuba diving, and they said, we've got to take you out, you're going to love it. We went down the south, south coast, we did all the training course, and we headed out. It was a beach dive. So we're heading out in the water, and you could see the ground, and you could see the surface, and it was all okay until, I forget what point it is, I, I think 10 meters, but there's, there's some depth and I don't even want to know about it because, again, scuba diving is also from the devil. Nobody should do it. It's evil. People are just not made for dark caves or the bottom of the ocean. I'm just saying. This is not my problem. This is scuba diving and caving. Let's clarify that. But there was a moment at that particular point, at that particular depth, 10 meters down, whatever it is, where you lose all sense of awareness. So I can't see the bottom. I can't see the top. And I'm just enveloped in this blackness. And I am panicked. Now, there's no particular reason to panic, is there? Because I've got a mask on, I've got fins, I've got people around me who know exactly what's going on. It's controlled, it's safe. But fear has a way of reminding us of what we don't have and what we need to do. And all I could think about was, I need oxygen and I've got to get up there now. I've got to rip this mask off and get to the service and just end this thing as quickly as possible. Fortunately, I think my sister saw that I was panicking and she was holding on to me, physically trying to restrain me. And it's very interesting to have a conversation underwater when you've got a, 
mask in your mouth and she's trying to just say, just calm down, you can't go to the surface. Of course, if you go to the surface at that depth, you're going to be putting yourself in a world of pain. The only thing you can do is trust in the provision that you've got in that moment. And it was all I could do to stop myself from ripping off the mask, saying I'm taking matters into my own hands and I'm heading to the surface, never to return to the depths of the ocean again. We got through that particular moment, but here is the point. You see, fear reminds us of all the things we don't have and of all the things that we need to do. What if? What if I get that bad diagnosis? What if my job falls apart? What if I don't have enough money in super for when I retire? What if, what if, what if? Fear is always reminding us of that which we don't have. But it's when we come and rest in his love that he reminds us of what we have in him. See, he says, I am. I am your present help in times of trouble. I am your strength. I'm your courage. I'm your health. I'm your hope. I'm your supplier. I'm your defender. I am your deliverer. I'm your forgiveness. I am your joy. I am your future. God says, I am whatever you need whenever you need it. Fear will keep us depending on myself. I've got to do this. I've got to make this happen. Whereas love will keep us in that place. Of it's never been about what I could do. It never is. The kingdom isn't about what I bring to the table. The kingdom is about him. It's about what he's done. And the king who is seated at the table with everything. He's preparing a table for me. The presence of anything that's happening around us. You want to live a fearless life. That's the source you need to live from. Not from me, but from him. See, fear will always keep us holding on just a little bit to what I can do. Can I, can I really trust that he's good enough? I've just got to hang on to a little bit of myself. Just, 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 I've just got to do a little bit. I've just got to add to it somehow. It's a radically scary but radically powerful decision to let go and to trust fully in the love of God. But that's what it means for his love to be Perfected in us. So number three, it's his presence. It is, what was the second one? It's his provision. Thank you. Someone was listening. Number three, it's his promise. It's being anchored in his promise. See, fear will always keep us being buffeted by uncertainty, but love keeps us anchored in the promise of who he is. I love what it says here. It says, by this love is perfected, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So here is the ultimate. If you had heard this morning as you awoke, I hope none of you did, but the Lord spoke to you and said, uh, your time is up and by this evening, I'll be taking you home to be with me. I guess that's a moment for rejoicing, isn't it? Not really commiserating, but you'd live your day a little bit differently, yeah? You might be at church a little earlier than normal, very prompt, ready to worship. But would you hear that, or if you, if you thought that reality that I'm standing before the Lord today, would you be able to stand before Him with confidence? 
Would you be able to stand before him without fear? My life's built in him. My hope is him. Yes. Yes, I can. Or I'm not sure. I really don't know. You see, isn't this the ultimate promise? That we would know how it all ends. That we have the reality that, well, there's going to be twists and turns. There'll be some momentary affliction. But my eyes are fixed firmly heavenward. My heart is anchored in the one thing that is eternal. The one thing that matters. The greatness and the power and the promise of His love. And nothing can stop that. No evil can quench it. No enemy can thwart it. No problem can hinder it. How can we be defeated if that is our anchor? If God's love is your assurance, then what can stand against you? As Paul writes in Romans 8.31, what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that is a fearless people, a people whose lives are anchored into his promise. I know how it all ends. I can face anything because I know the end of the story. When you know who you are in Christ Jesus, look out world. Because here come a fearless, confident, conquering people. If God is for us, who can be against us? I want us to pray. So can you put away your Bibles? Here is the invitation. Here is the urgency, the exhortation, is that we would be a people who know what it is to live fearlessly in an ever-increasingly fearful age. Perfected love casts away All fear. It's the awareness of his presence is with us. It's the assurance of his provision. And it's the anchor that we have into his promise. Let's pray together. Father, would we be that people? Let us be a people who can proclaim as the psalmist so famously in Psalm 23, that though we walk, Through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. Your rod and staff will comfort us. You will prepare a table, a banqueting table. The presence of our enemies will dwell in your house forever. And goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives. We know that we will be with you. And we know that for every moment that you call us to live in this planet, that we could not get away from the reality of your love and your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, I want to pray particularly for any of us here, whether that's one, whether that's all of us who in some way are bound by fear. Lord, maybe it is this morning that fear has gripped us with the problems. And we need in this moment just to let go and to remind ourselves of your presence. Lord, maybe it is that fear keeps reminding us of all that we don't have. We're never going to make it. We're never going to measure up. And I pray that your 
limitless, unconditional love that we could never earn would remind us of your provision, your unfailing, everlasting provision. Lord, maybe it is this morning that fear for some of us has left us tossed, anchorless in the seas of uncertainty. Lord, I pray this morning that your love again would anchor us firmly in your promise. That we would set our sights heavenward, knowing that you are in control. Knowing that if you're for us, then who could be against us? And we're pressing on to live fearlessly, to see the glory of the name of Jesus Christ extended in our time, in our lives, in whatever way you desire. May that be our prayer. May people say of us, we perceive that they've been with Jesus because of their confidence and courage, because of the way that they live fearlessly. Thank you that your perfected love casts away fear. And this morning, Lord, I ask that fear would be cast, never to return. And your love would be resident in our hearts again. We pray in Jesus' name.